United Lutheran Seminary presents the Seminary Explores podcast, conversations on faith, art, people, politics, theology, life, and more, with voices from around the corner and around the globe. Welcome to the Seminary Explores. I'm Katie Giebenhain. My guest is Susan Fogarty, a founder and director of the R.S. Thomas and M.E. Eldridge Society and Festival. Thomas is one of the most significant religious poets of the 20th century and one of Wales' greatest poets. His wife, Elsie, was a visual artist whose work and influence on his writing is increasingly acknowledged and celebrated. Susan Fogarty is a licensed lay minister in the Anglican Church in Wales. She publishes articles on Thomas's poetry and specializes in reading Thomas's work and engaging audiences to move through the poetry in churches and the natural environment. She co-leads R.S. Thomas Retreats with her partner John McElhenney in the UK and in the United States. And she's established Stations, Pilgrimage to the Untenanted Cross which is a meditation by candlelight, whose roots are in the Easter tradition of the Stations of the Cross. It connects the words of Thomas's poems to the iconic features inside the medieval pilgrim church of St. Hohens in Aberdaran, North Wales. Susan, welcome to the Seminary Explorers. Thank you, Katie, for this uh, invitation. I'm uh, happy to be having this conversation with you this morning. And um, you're actually just returning from serving as a chaplain on Bardsey Island, aren't you? Yes, that's true. I was there last week for um, seven days. Um, the island is the sacred island of Entley, known in Welsh as Entley. And um, yes, there is a chaplaincy set up there to maintain the continuity of prayer that has been on this uh, sacred island, a thin place uh, as it regards, um, yeah. Yeah, Sorry. very good. Is it, um, is it still called the Rome of Britain? No. <laughs> that, that's uh, that's a, a bit of a, a fallacy. And in actual fact, it, that was just a marketing exercise on behalf of the early church. Um, Entley as an island um, back in medieval times was regarded, was known as the island of the resurrection. And the idea was that people wanted to go there to die on the island or to have their bodies taken there um, because it was regarded as a thin place between heaven and, her, uh, heaven and earth and mm-hmm. it was a portal to, to heaven um, and thereby avoiding uh, the so-called purgatory. Um, so, and it was only in around about the 10th century that um, one of the popes declared that uh, three pilgrimages to Bardsey would be the equivalent of one pilgrimage to Rome. Um, <laughs> but it, was, it was a great marketing exercise because it meant people just kept coming back and kept putting money in the coffers. So, <laughs> Yeah, so it lost all of its original intention, which is why it was called the Island of 20,000 Saints, Mm. because uh, the saints being those early Christian people who professed their faith to follow the the word of Jesus, um, 
and 20,000 in biblical terms is an innumerable number, unaccountable. Um, So that's how it became known as the island of 20,000 saints. But the idea was you went there only the once, the end of your life. Right. Um, Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, The 2022 R.S. Thomas and Emmy Eldridge Festival takes place next June in Aberdaran. But for pandemic safety reasons, uh, the 2021 festival will be held online this year, and that's going to be Saturday, the 19th of June. Could you tell us um, what's planned for for this upcoming festival? Yes. um, Yes, we've got a very exciting um, program. As you said, the original 2020 um, program, the in-person festival that we've had going for the last seven years um, was scheduled for this summer and now that has been you know postponed as you say to 2022 so for this year um, we have got three key speakers we've got Rowan Williams um, who's you know a world-renowned speaker on all subjects and matters and is a great fan of of R.S. Thomas we also have Mark Oakley, Reverend Mark Oakley, who was former um, uh, canon chancellor at um, St. Paul's Cathedral, is now um, the chancellor at St. John's College, Oxford. Um, he also is highly regarded and has great following um, for his um talks and what he has done with uh, the poetry of R.S. Thomas. And then we have Gwyneth Lewis, who is a Welsh poet um, who actually had a great deal of personal experience with um, R.S. Thomas as a young graduate and a writer. And he was very encouraging of her to uh, follow a career in through her poetry and in her writing. Um, so she has a lot of very personal anecdotal stories of the humour of R.S. Thomas. Um, R.S. Thomas is largely regarded as, you know, he has carries this sort of persona, this mask of the ogre of Wales, um, which he was, he was very happy to use that as a mask to keep people at, at bay. Um, but in actual fact, underneath that um, stern um, face, there was a man with a great dry sense of humour. Um, my partner, John Henney, uh travelled from Pennsylvania three times in the early 1990s to meet R.S. And that was one of the things that really struck him um, about meeting R.S. Thomas. Yes, there was this um, very serious intellectual side to him, but he also um, was a man with a great sense of, of humour. Well, and um, so could you yeah. also just briefly say something about uh, Gwyneth Lewis because um, she's also quite a, a, a for- force in poetry in her own right now, and for um, you know, for those who may not be familiar with her, um, that's it's it's quite exciting that she's part of the. Um, you know, part of the speakers this year. 
Yes, indeed. Um, Gwyneth was, in fact, the first national declared when they decided to create the National Poet of Wales. She was the very first one back in 2005. And in Cardiff, our capital city, um, we have the Millennium Centre, and she uh, came up with the poetry that is written on the outside of the building. It's only two lines long. There's a line in Welsh and a line in English. And it's, um, you know, said to be the biggest, the largest poem in the world because of (laughs) the fact that physically it is the largest uh, lettering of of poetry. But Gwyneth, yes, uh, writes in both Welsh and English and um, is very much... um, she she doesn't just write poetry. She's a journalist and uh, an author and a broadcaster and a playwright. So um, a very interesting woman. Yeah, which is who I'm looking forward to uh, you know getting to know better. And also, um, as you had mentioned with John before, when you had uh, individual conversations with R.S. Thomas, that would be different than the sort of public persona that he. That he tended to to carry, so she had lots of time with him, and uh, in this respect, um, we'll be able to share some some of the other side of the great man, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. Um, always, when we've had the festivals, the one thing that uh, intrigues a lot of people, and people often ask the question, "Well, we know his work as a poet." We have those insights into his thinking. But often the questions people want to know is, but what was he like as a man? What was he like as a vicar? They really want to know the persona and really get to a more of a sense of the man. Um, and so someone like Gwyneth can give us those um, insights because, you know, R.S. died in 2000. His ministry ended in 1978. Um, And so people are, um, you know, keen. There are a few people now who are still living who have that, you know, personal recollection of him. So uh, people are keen very much to to get a handle on who he was as a man. And also, likewise, with his wife, um, Elsie, um, they both lived very quiet um, lives because they both knew what they needed to do to achieve the greatness that that they could achieve. He, in his poetry, he had this very clear, strict daily routine of walking and writing and ministering to his parish in the daytime. And so too with Elsie. Um, She was always painting and always working in the background um, creating these great works of art. She created as many works of art as he created poems, but it's, it's largely unknown because, you know, her works were sold and went out to the art galleries, mostly through the Royal College of Art and to the Medici Society. And so her work is, is dispersed throughout, you know, the world. Um, so it, it's quite a challenge to, to get to see some of her work. Um, but myself and John are working on creating a website um, dedicated to uh, Elsie and her work. 
and her life, which has largely gone unnoticed, which is what she wanted. She did not want to be in the in the limelight. But a lot of people have this wrong perception that um, R.S. Thomas pushed her into the background, that he overshadowed her. That's not the case at all. Um, she, as I say, she was a, a great artist in her own right, and, and that's why we created the society to to show them um, as a pair. And it's quite well recognised now um, amongst um, the scholars of, of R.S. Thomas her influence on his poetry when they married. Um, she brought her artistic sensibilities into his life. One of her great mantras with her pupils was to look, 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 look at the details. Uh. And she, and she brought that to R.S. Thomas. Before um, they were married, he was a sort of imitative poet, uh, following the Georgian poets, you know, like Wordsworth and, and like. And he sort of created his poetry with, with a broad brushstrokes um, of, you know, what would be a, a sort of an artist equivalent. But she taught him to look at the detail. And when he started to write about the details of people around him and the landscape, it transformed his, his poetry. And she had been a student at the Royal College of Art, um, hadn't she? That's correct, yes. And she was already you know, highly regarded. She won a, a, a prize um, she was very thankful for the fact that she didn't win the first prize, which would have allowed her to go to the um, the British School in Rome for art um, studies. But she won a second prize, which was a sum of money, which enabled her to go to Italy um, for around six to eight weeks. And she met some very interesting people and that was a period for her that was, you know, quite transformative for herself um, in her own art. And John McElhenney and myself went to Italy um, three years ago, and we went to the places that she went to, and we could really see there how Italy and that period in time, you know, helped to really establish herself as an artist and, and establish her own style. I really appreciate what you said about this um, assumption that people make very easily, uh, assuming that just because she was quiet that somehow that meant that R.S. Thomas was sort of keeping her... <laughs> keeping her down or um, I that's it's so important to recognize that and the other thing is with any artist it's easy to try and make assumptions about what the person should be like um, connected to the work and it's really you know the the amount of time and that's not even the that's not even the best way to to describe this but it is so um, it is so intense and people have different uh, personalities and focuses and instead of just letting someone be who they are it's easy to try and make assumptions about how they should be 
right in in the sort yes. of the public sphere and so and then and if someone isn't what you expect it's easy to try and make some excuses oh well her husband must have sort of held her back but actually this was a couple who were both incredibly prolific right and they were doing what they wanted to do indeed indeed yes and um you know the same sort of applies to uh, you know Taurus Thomas that um you know that there's much that's, that's sort of said and made of the fact that you know he could be you know walking down the street in the village and his parishioners would maybe say you know good morning to him or whatever and he would completely perhaps blank them out or he would have you know very little time for conversation but that's perhaps somewhere in his head it's not that he was rude and it was not that he didn't want to have those conversations with people but um he was just so focused mm. um you know on his on his poetry he probably was you know in the middle of creating something new <laughs> in his head <laughs> and um you know and and the way that that you know he viewed his um his life um and what it was that he was called to do um you know he says i was called by god to write poetry i trained to be a priest um that doesn't mean to say that he was lacking in his priestly duty he was not um those who knew him and those you can still talk to the elderly people will talk about his care and um you know diligence for his parishioners you know he would go and sit for hours with the sick and the dying and if he knew there was somebody in the village who had an um you know a sick relative in hospital you know he would see them standing at the bus stop and ask them where they're going and they say well I'm going to the hospital oh get in the car you know and he would take 3 hours mm. to to go and and support this you know the family and his parishioners and their sickness and and in bereavement um so he really had this um, duty of care, both pastoral care. So those who knew him well will speak highly of him. Those who don't know him well, who only listen to the anecdotes, um, will often come up with a, a very different view of him. Um, I was thinking of sorry, that, that quote that he, that he said when... Um I'm being questioned about these the, the two roles of priest and poet, and he, uh, that he didn't see them as contradictory. And um, he said, uh, uh, "Christ was a poet, and the New Testament was poetry." Right? <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. And the whole Bible is is, uh, is is poetry, and it is to be read in that way. It is not. Um, Prose. It is not a a textbook of um, of facts per se. Um, you know, when obviously you, you know you look at the Psalms, um, you know that, that it, it's all poetic language, and yes, the, the use of metaphor and analogy in all of Jesus's teaching. Um, yes, Jesus took the poetic approach. Yeah. One thing that um, I'm curious about for um, Elsie, could you say something about this, the mural that's now at the university in Wrexham? 
and also just to describe the the whole this life cycle that she's um, depicting. Um, and it's yeah. About 1950, she saw this opportunity within this hospital that there was this um, space um, that she she had actually trained as a mural artist in the 1930s. But by the time she graduated and by the time she came to establish herself with her own career, public art and big murals were going out of fashion. But she went into this hospital. She was asked to advise on um, colour schemes and saw this opportunity. So she persuaded the hospital to allow her to create this great mural. And she had 120 feet of wall space. And what she did, as she said, was to put together all of her best ideas and to create this, um, as I said, 120-foot-long mural, and it's called The Dance of Life. And it starts, actually, from her, the, the, the centerpiece is one, the work that she did, which actually won her the award and the prize to go on a travelling scholarship to Rome. So... Yeah, the the, pan, the the whole of the mural is 120 feet long and each one is five feet high. And she had complete freedom to create this. And as she said herself, she brought together all of her best ideas. So it starts off with this rural idyll of um, dancers country dancers whom she had seen at the uh, International Ice Edvod. Um, they were Yugoslavian dancers. And in that first section, she's actually incorporated herself and R.S. Thomas as two of the dancers. There is, in this uh, picture as well, you will see there's a self-portrait of herself with a set of bagpipes. (laughs) The whole thing is called the dance of life. She is the piper calling the tune to the dance. It's a really strong statement of herself and her life and her art. The, The panel, the next panel moves along and it's an extraordinary scene of, um, sheep at a sheep feeder on a hillside. This is her reference to God. She sees God as the good shepherd. And when John and I went to Italy and went to Ravenna to see the mosaics, the 5th century mosaics, which she went to see as well, and she speaks about in her journals, this was a really strong influence for her, the whole idea of God as the good shepherd. Um, the, The next panel we move on to shows um, a boat on the shore that is um, um, falling apart, it's decaying, you have the ribs, and this is her representation of death and decay. But what she says is there is beauty in death and decay and the form of the boat. Mm. Um, Her next panel is is an amazingly surreal um, panel of 
um, life and death and the, the, the veil that is between life and death. Um, and then she moves on. The, 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 the final panel is something like about 30 feet long. And that deals with the sort of modern-day aspects of um, conflict um, and how humanity can get caught up and get trapped um, in its own construction. She, like R.S. Thomas, had this aversion to what they saw was the, the progress of humanity um, towards technology. And by as as and as R.S. Thomas used the, the metaphor of the machine mm. and how people can get caught up with technology and they lose and they become disconnected with the land and the season. Um, and they were both very, very concerned about the industrialization of uh, the rural landscape. And, you know, now we see it, don't we? They were both um, the people who could, you know, foresee some of the problems that we have now in our modern world with, um, you know, technology when we look at the young people today. And how you know they are so um, fixated on the technology rather than on you know relationship hmm. and um, perhaps you know the the the, the more um, ethereal aspects of of spirituality and faith. Um, so you know it's it, 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 the whole thing is is quite you know prophetic. And within it as well, you know, Elsie has hidden. There are many stories and secrets within the, the mural itself. And I've had a, a great deal of fun in creating this new website dedicated to Elsie, looking at her early work from the 1930s, 40s, and how, you know, she has woven them into this great masterpiece from the 1950s. And it was only made possible by the fact that when R.S. Thomas um, became vicar at Manavon in North Wales, they moved into this large Georgian house where she was able to have the space to hang these huge canvases and to work on them by herself. Um, later in life, um, well, actually, just before she had finished completing these works, R.S. Thomas decided he wanted to move to a different parish um, for his own personal reasons. And she, you know, obviously, you know, had to go with him. There was no question about that. And she did just manage to finish off the last of the panels, but it was quite a problem for her. And then after that, she adapted her art to, and turned to, to doing smaller work and doing ornithological studies and botanical studies which enabled her to, you know, keep her artistry going, but she moved in a different direction. But all of this was all, you know, created almost serendipitously. The circumstances in her life uh, enabled her to create this great masterwork. And it's, it's, the, it's the one great 
mural um, that stands as testimony, you know, to her work. And and thank goodness, actually, it wasn't an actual mural. It was it's a series of of panels on canvas on frames that were able to be um, preserved. If they had been the true mural painted on a wall, when the building was demolished, it it would have been um, it would have been lost. Right. Yes. As it was. Ah, a blessing. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, my final question, something you could leave us with, which you've already sort of described, um, is the the pertinence of these two um, today, and and perhaps um, to those who are attending seminary at any age, um, what what's so um, sort of powerful and nourishing about their, not only their work, but their example and something um, sort of encouraging in a, in a realistic way uh, for the for the parish life? Oh, my goodness, that's a question. Um, the, um, what we find, uh, you know, with, with people coming to the festivals, there are a great many people who are in ministry who come along to the festivals. They are very much drawn to um, R.S. Thomas, just as, um, you know, John McElhenney was who you interviewed um, several years ago. Yes. But as someone who's in ministry, that there come these times um, of doubt and questioning. And R.S. Thomas was not um, afraid of grasping that metal of faith and doubt. Um, and he explores that in all its um, complexity and at different times in his life. And he explores his relationship with God. Mark Oakley, who is one of our speakers uh, at this year's festival, um, was already starting um, in um, his theological college, as seminary as you would call it, and um, as a young gay minister, was struggling with the um, what was happening at the time of the AIDS pandemic. Sorry, it's not pandemic, is it? But the the, the, the time of the well, yeah, yeah at the time pandemic. at the time it, it it actually could have been called you know it it was a pandemic. <coughs> Excuse yes. me. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he decided actually he couldn't carry on with his um, his theological studies. He needed time out. So he went um, to travelling around India, and the one book he took with him to India was R.S. Thomas's collected work. Uh. And Mark, when he came to our festival a few years ago, 
he described that book as his life jacket. Mm. That was the one thing that kept his head above water and stopped him falling into despair. And he said it was just so enriching and so life-enhancing knowing that R.S. Thomas had walked before him um, through these dark nights of the soul, through this questioning of doubt and faith and how to, you know, hold one and both together, um, which is what you can do with poetry, but you can't do with theological studies. Very often theologians want to have everything a theological idea all nicely tied up and wrapped up. Um, whereas with poetry, it leaves you and enables you to hold um, both the faith and the doubt. There is, you know, on the one hand, this and that. And they don't have to be reconciled. Mm. They can all be held equally together. Um, so... Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, certainly where R.S. Thomas um, has a place, you know, for um, people in ministry, you know, today. Uh, Susan, thank you for that. And thank you for, <laughs> thank you for your time today. Um, you've been listening to The Seminary Explorers. I'm Katie Giebenhain. My guest has been Susan Fogarty, director of the R.S. Thomas and M.E. Eldridge Society and Festival in North Wales. To learn more about the festival or to register, visit rsthomaspoetry.co.uk. Thank you, Susan, and all the best on the 19th. Thank you, Katie. It's been a pleasure talking with you. You have been listening to The Seminary Explorers, a production of United Lutheran Seminary with campuses in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We invite you to visit our website at unitedlutheranseminary.edu. Opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of United Lutheran Seminary or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America.